Welcome to another episode of Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors and guests talk about health policy news and issues. Today, we're joined by Rachel Sachs. Rachel is the Triman Professor of Law at Washington University in St. Louis, and she's a nationally known scholar of the intersection of innovation policy, intellectual property law, food and drug regulation, and health law, and she leaps tall buildings in her spare time. Uh, Her work has appeared in many prominent forums, including Health Affairs Forefront, most notably for today, uh, formerly Health Affairs Blog, where Rachel's written many pieces on developments in prescription drug policy and their implications. Uh, Rachel, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about Rachel's latest article on Health Affairs Forefront, uh, in which she looks back at some of the notable prescription drug policy developments in 2021 and then looks forward uh, to talk about what to watch for in that arena in 2022. Uh, We'll only have time today to talk about a small part of what Rachel covers in her article, but uh, we'll post a link to that article in the program notes, and we would encourage listeners to read the full piece. It's very rewarding. Uh, So, Rachel, I thought we'd start uh, today with the Food and Drug Administration's controversial approval last year of the Alzheimer's drug Aduhelm. Uh, particularly since we're expecting an announcement from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services regarding Medicare coverage of that drug next week. So we'll get back to that announcement in a bit. But uh, first, could you briefly remind our listeners of what happened when Aduhelm's uh, manufacturer, Biogen, sought FDA approval for the drug uh, and why the agency's actions were regarded, at least by many, as so controversial? Yes. In late 2020, FDA had convened a meeting of the relevant advisory committee to look at the evidence in support of the drug, which is a common agency practice. But the advisory committee was very skeptical of the evidence, and 10 members of the committee voted that the drug's clinical trials did not demonstrate evidence of effectiveness, and one member abstained, so no committee members voted in the drug's favor. But then in June 2021, FDA not only approved the drug, but it did so in two ways that were not clearly anticipated. So first, it used its accelerated approval pathway to approve the drug. And this pathway allows FDA to approve products for serious or life-threatening conditions on the basis of surrogate endpoints that are reasonably likely, is the term that's often used, to predict clinical benefit rather than on the basis of true clinical endpoints. So in this case, FDA said that Adjahelm's ability to reduce levels of amyloid beta plaques in the brain was expected to predict a clinical benefit in Alzheimer's patients despite the failure of other amyloid targeting drugs in the past. And then Biogen was given almost nine years to complete a follow-on trial and submit it to the agency. The use of the accelerated approval pathway was a surprise in part because the agency had explicitly disclaimed the issue during the advisory committee meeting, the official actually said, quote, we're not using the amyloid as a surrogate for efficacy, unquote. The committee wasn't asked to vote on the issue. And then the second reason the 
approval was a bit unusual was because the drug's label was broader than most had anticipated. So the FDA label just said that the drug was indicated for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. It placed no restrictions on how this must be diagnosed. And that indication was far broader than the populations in the clinical trials. And it really increased the patient population, which could be eligible for treatment with the drug is more than 6 million Americans have Alzheimer's disease or estimated to have Alzheimer's. And so one concern initially was that the cost implications here were staggering, given that the drug was initially priced at about $56,000 per year. The New York Times had estimated that Medicare spending on the drug could be greater than the amount we spend annually on the Environmental Protection Agency or NASA to say nothing of its costs for individual patients and their families. Yeah, that's uh, that certainly isn't cheap. Uh, it's uh, when you're when you're uh, at the level of the budgets of smaller agencies. That's uh, what one could understand why there's some worries. So we'll uh, post, by the way, uh, for listeners again, we'll post Rachel's article that she did at the time Adjuhelm was first approved. Uh, we'll post that in the program notes. And for now, Rachel, I was hoping uh, maybe you could catch us up then on what's happened uh, since the approval. Uh, we're now. Uh, several months from that, uh, how have stakeholders reacted, what's been happening on the, uh, the business front and the policy front. Uh, I know that there have been some uh, big uh, implications for Medicare premiums. Uh, catch us up on the development since the approval. A lot has happened since last June. I would say that there are two sets of developments, although they're related to each other. So one of the sets of developments is about the price. So as I mentioned, Biogen had set this initial $56,000 per year price for this drug with somewhat uncertain clinical efficacy. And the first unusual thing that happened was that the Alzheimer's Association itself criticized the price on its release. It's unusual to see patient groups come out against the prices set for new drugs for conditions in which they have an interest. But then immediately after approval, we saw experts note that this drug was going to have significant cost implications for Medicare and its beneficiaries. And that has so far uh, been the case. So in November, Medicare administrators announced the 2022 increase in Medicare Part B premiums. And they noted that a significant portion of this increase was due to the approval of Adjuhelm and the need to maintain sufficient reserves to cover this drug for a very broad patient population. In late December, just a couple of weeks ago, Biogen announced that it would cut the drug's price in half to about $28,000, but that's still several times higher than existing cost-effectiveness analyses suggest that the price should be. The second set of developments is more general. Some, but not all of them, are driven by pricing, but some are independent. So first, there's been a significant pushback from a large variety of stakeholders, many of whom do not usually push back against FDA approval decisions. So we've seen major hospital systems and academic medical centers refusing to prescribe or administer the drug. We've seen insurers declining to pay for the drug, citing the lack of evidence of its clinical benefits. As we've mentioned, we're expecting an announcement next week from CMS on whether Medicare will be covering the drug and if so, under what circumstances. 
in itself, it's unusual for CMS to engage in this process as it relates to a prescription drug. So FDA standard for approving a drug is whether the drug is safe and effective. CMS is trying to figure out if the drug is reasonable and necessary for patients. Usually those two things collapse into each other, but that is maybe not the case here. We'll find out very soon. And then from an FDA perspective, finally, we've also seen some changes. So just weeks after the initial approval, FDA and Biogen agreed to narrow the language on the drug's label. And FDA is now investigating the death of a patient who'd been taking the drug during a trial. We haven't had the chance on this podcast to discuss the potential safety implications for patients of the drug, which may be quite serious and were quite common in the clinical trial. That's great. So you talked a little bit already about the announcement uh, that we're expecting from CMS next week. Uh, maybe you could expand a little on on what are the various options that CMS has, what the agency might say. Uh, I know one of the possibilities, maybe a likelihood even that's been talked about is that they might use some sort of uh, what's known as coverage with evidence development. Uh, and maybe you could talk a little bit too about how I, you mentioned earlier that there were some follow-up trials uh, that were involved in the FDA's approval, although over a very long period of time, sort of how, you know, if CMS does go down the route of, of uh, asking for further evidence development, how that might be stricter or uh, in a quicker period of time than, than what the FDA did. So CMS is in this process of conducting a national coverage determination in which they're trying to determine whether and under what circumstances Medicare will provide reimbursement for not just Adjahelm, but more generally, the NCD is framed as being about monoclonal antibodies directed against amyloid for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. So we know that there are several other monoclonal antibodies here in development, some of which FDA will need to make decisions on this year. And so CMS is asking questions like what health outcomes are important and what degree of improvement in them is meaningful for patients. Those are questions that are, of course, relevant to Adjuhelm, but they would also cut across products should more be approved. So in terms of the range of possible outcomes, they depend a little bit on what standards CMS sets out and how Adjahelm fares across those standards. But to abbreviate it, to sort of say what the top line answers might be, you know, one potential result would be that there's no coverage at all for Adjahelm. A second, which you mentioned, is that the agency would choose to pursue this coverage with evidence development pathway. And basically, this is the idea that Medicare will provide reimbursement for the product, but only in the context of a clinical study. And the agency does this somewhat more frequently with medical devices. It does it much more rarely for drugs, but it could certainly do so here. And in practice, this would have the effect of limiting coverage for the drug. But assuming that Medicare prioritizes a high quality study, it could also encourage the development of this clinically relevant information much faster than the nine years that Biogen has under FDA's initial statement. You could also have a broader coverage determination. So Medicare could decide to cover the product at varying degrees of generality. So they might say for a population that looks like that enrolled in the clinical trial, which would be mild disease as confirmed by particular diagnostic modalities, 
or up to the FDA label, which is a little bit broader than that, or all Alzheimer's patients. And all of these different choices would have different implications for companies, for providers, for patients, for our healthcare system as a whole. Well, thanks. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye out, obviously, next week and, and see what CMS does. And uh, uh, I would encourage listeners, when the announcement does come out, to check out uh, Health Affairs Forefront, where uh, Rachel is likely to uh, spell out again uh, what, uh, what this agency did and what it means. Before we finish, I'd like to turn uh, broaden our focus a bit and uh, turn to the question of uh, the issue of prescription drug prices. Uh, as listeners will know, and as Rachel knows, uh, in the Build Back Better uh, bill, in the context of that legislation, Democrats had agreed on uh, a package of reforms that were designed to restrain prescription drug prices. But that uh, legislation is now stalled by Senator Manchin's uh, opposition, at least for now. Uh, Rachel, uh, can you tell us sort of what we might expect on the prescription drug pricing front, uh, maybe through other vehicles such as executive action uh, from the Biden administration? Sure. So at the same time, as we are waiting to see what may or may not come out of Congress, there are signs that the administration may be gearing up to act on this front. And one recent development, which may help us see the shape of the actions to come, would come from the FDA. So FDA took the step of responding to a citizen petition recently filed by a branded pharmaceutical company. And FDA noted that the petition appeared to have been submitted for the purpose of delaying generic approval, and FDA referred that petition to the Federal Trade Commission for investigation. That's not something we've seen FDA do before. So this idea that branded drug companies are abusing the citizen petition process to delay generic entry for their own branded products, it's not a new idea. We've seen bipartisan legislation introduced in Congress that would support the ability of FDA and FTC to respond to the issue, but those bills haven't become law yet. And so it's possible that even without legislative change, we are now starting to see an executive branch move to combat some of these issues using its existing authority as part of the administration's broader pro-competition framing. Well, there's a lot more to be said, obviously, on that front and on uh, drug policy issues uh, as a whole. Uh, but uh, for now, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, Rachel, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. And thanks to our listeners, obviously. Uh, please remember to subscribe whenever you, wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next week.